Welcome to the Faith and More podcast. I firmly believe that the divine works through people to help us every day. These angels and saints are so very humble. Many of us don't know they exist or existed. Hello, my name is Angel and I'll be your host as we explore the lives of these amazing beings. We will also explore topics that can help your faith, no matter what it is or isn't. The goal of this show is to inspire, encourage, educate, uplift, strengthen, and heal you and your faith. Hello to each and every one of you. Thank you so much for tuning in. This week is going to be the first part of a two-parter. I think it's going to be at least a two-parter, a two-part episode uh, on an amazing, or I should say, I know it's so stupid, a truly amazing, I'm sorry, it's a catchphrase now, a truly amazing being, uh, one of my all-time favorite saints, and that is Saint Maria Faustina Kowalska. St. Faustina, also known as Maria Faustina Kowalska and St. Maria Faustina Kowalska of the Blessed Sacrament, uh, was a Polish Roman Catholic nun and mystic. Her apparitions of Jesus Christ inspired the Roman Catholic devotion to the Divine Mercy and earned her the title of Secretary of Divine Mercy. In the Divine Mercy Chaplet, as it's called, when you pray the Divine Mercy Prayers, um, is one of my absolute favorite. I, I do it, or I should say practice it, recite it every day. Uh, it's best, they say, in the Roman Catholic faith to practice it between the hours of 3 and 4 p.m. And we'll get into that uh, later on as to why that is. But anyway, just wanted to share that. Uh, she is very well known for the divine mercy practice and prayer. So of course, as always, all of the information I will be sharing, I will have a link or links to this information um, in the show notes on the website, which you'll get information at the end of the show on exactly how to find that. It has been said that St. Faustina is a gift from God for our times. Great mystic, mistress of spiritual life, prophets, who reminded the biblical truth about merciful love of God for every human being and calls to proclaim it to the world through the testimony of life, deed, word, and prayer. She is also known as an apostle of divine mercy, a prophet of our times, a great mystic, mistress of spiritual life. These are epithets usually appended to the name of St. Faustina of the Congregation of Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. St. Faustina is one of the church's most popular and widely known saints and the greatest mystics in the history of the church. I know when you hear all that, especially those of you who are not Roman Catholic or Catholic in general would be like, um, this sounds like a fortune teller or somebody, um, you know, like a Long Island medium kind of person. Uh, no, she she wasn't that at all. But, you know, her story could be uh, taken as uh, fantastical, as the word I've used in season one with other uh, amazing saints and beings. Um, but, I mean, all of the stuff with uh, St. Faustina, of course, has been verified. 
uh, through witnesses and through the church and and through her spiritual director, which we'll get into here in the story. So if it already sounds like it's outlandish, no, it, please, you know, open your mind and your heart, you know, sit back, relax, and just enjoy the ride. So St. Faustina was born on the 25th of August, 1905 in Glogowiec, Poland. Now, right now, I'm going to apologize to everyone for my mispronunciations of any and all Polish words. My Polish is not so good. <laughs> Her parents were Mariana and Stanislaw Kowalski. Uh, she was the third of 10 children. Two days after she was born, she was baptized with the name Helena in the parish church of Swinice Warki. At the age of nine, she made her first Holy Communion. She attended elementary school for merely three years, and then she went to work as a housekeeper in various well-to-do families in Alexandro and Lodz. From the age of seven, she had felt the calling for religious vocation, but her parents would not give her permission to enter the convent. However, impelled by the vision of the suffering Christ in July of 1924, she left for Warsaw to find a place. For another year, she worked as a housekeeper to save money for the modest monastic trousseau or diary. On 1st of August, 1925, she entered the congregation of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy in Warsaw. And what we're doing right now is just going through a, a summary of her bio. And, you know, I could just leave it at that. Um, but her life and experiences and faith were so rich that I really, really believe that you can benefit greatly from um, her shared experiences and what she went through and her life. So that's a reason why I'm going to continue on, um, you know, past the summary bio into details of her life to share as much as we can possibly share uh, so we can get a better idea of her. Of course, you know, I'll have um, links to ways that you can learn more about her. There is an, an autobiography out with her diary entries in it, which is truly amazing. And I'll again, I'll have more information on that as we go. I don't want to get too far ahead of myself yet. St. <laughs> Faustina lived in the congregation for 13 years, staying in many houses. The longest time she spent in Krakow, Plok, and Vilnius, working as a cook, shop assistant in the baker's shop, a gardener, and a and portress. She suffered from tuberculosis of the lungs and an elementary uh, system, and that is why for over eight months she stayed in the hospital in Krakow. Greater sufferings from those which were caused by tuberculosis she offered as a voluntary sacrifice for sinners and as the apostle of divine mercy. She experienced also many extraordinary graces such as apparitions, ecstasies, the gift of bilocation, hidden stigmata, reading into human souls, the mystical betrothal and nuptials. St. Faustina's principal task was to pass on to the church and world the message of mercy. 
a recapitalization of the biblical truth of God's merciful love for every human being and a calling to each of us to entrust our lives to him and to actively love our neighbor. Jesus not only revealed the depth of his mercy to St. Faustina, but also gave her new forms of worship. The picture inscribed, Jesus, I trust in you, the feast of divine mercy, the chaplet of divine mercy, and the prayer in the hour of his death on the cross, the hour of mercy. To each of these forms of worship, as well as to the preaching of the message of mercy, he attached great promises on the condition that we care about the attitude of trust in God that is to fulfill his will and show mercy to our neighbors. Now, those of you who aren't Roman Catholic or Catholic, please don't feel left out on this because really, uh, once we get it, you'll see her life will inspire and encourage and uplift and heal. The things that she went through was, wow, I mean, just mind-blowing. And the things she experienced was, you know, truly amazing. And, you know, the divine mercy prayer and practice is, is something that you can do uh, regardless um, of your denomination. St. Faustina died in Krakow on October 5th, 1938, at the age of just 33. Out of her charism, the mystical experience grew. The apostolic movement of the divine mercy, which continues her mission, proclaiming the message of mercy to the world through the testimony of life, deed, words, and prayer. On April 18, 1993, the Holy Father, St. John Paul II, raised her to the glory of the altars and on April 30, 2000, numbered her among the saints of the church. Her relics are in the Shrine of the Divine Mercy in Krakow. The Holy Father, St. Pope John Paul II, wrote that in the age of totalitarianism, St. Faustina became the ambassador of the message that the only power strong enough to counteract the evil is the truth of God's mercy. He called her diary a gospel of mercy written from a 20th century perspective, which has helped people to survive the extremely painful experiences of these times. This message, Pope Benedict has said, the message of mercy as the divine power, as God putting a check on all the world's evil, is indeed the chief message of our time. Stanislav Kowalski and Mariana Nibabo, after the wedding, bought a few acres of farmland in the village of Glagoic, far away from the towns and busy thoroughfares. They soon built there a single-story cottage and farm buildings. All the Kowalski children were baptized in the parish church of St. Casimir, and here they made their first Holy Communion and attended Mass on Sundays and Holy Days. The parish priest, Father Yosef Chodniski, made the following entry for the 27th of August, 1905, in the parish register. On this day, the 27th of August, 1905, at 1 o'clock in the afternoon, Stanislav Kowalski, farmer, aged 40 years, came accompanied by Franskitsk Bednerik, aged 35, and Josef Stasiak, aged 40 years, farmers of the Glogowik, presenting to us an infant of female sex, 
born of his wife, Mariana, knee babble, aged 30. At 8 o'clock in the morning of the 25th of August, 1905, in the village of Glogwick, the child received the name Helena in a holy baptism administered on this day, and the godparents were Konstanty Bednarik and Mariana Svedzianik. See, I know, my Polish isn't very good. It sounds good, though, doesn't it? <laughs> Life in the Kowalski household went on at a tranquil place, marked out first by prayer and then work, never the other way around. God came first, not only on Sundays and family occasions, but every day. In the early morning, Father would sing the hours or the other hymns, and when Mother rebuked him that he would wake the children, he replied that he had to learn from, or that, excuse me, they had to learn from their youngest years that God was the most important. There were holy pictures on the walls, and the little altar stood in the middle of the bedroom with a crucifix and two holy statues, the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. At night, the whole family would kneel for the evening prayers. In May, they would sing the Loreto Litany in front of the outdoor chapel outside the house and in October, recite the rosary. On Sunday afternoons, Father would take out the lives of the saints from the bookcase and read in the family circle. So we see at a very, very early age, like from the beginning, um, how uh, St. Faustina and her brothers and sisters were raised. Um, and it's amazing that they they had that firm, solid foundation and healthy deep roots from the very beginning and as we see that all comes into play all throughout St. Faustina's life. Father supplemented his income from the farm with work as a carpenter. He was strict with himself and his children and he did not tolerate even the slightest misdemeanor. Mother ran the house and brought the children up. With her inborn gentleness she trained them from their youngest years in jobs about the house and the farm and responsibility in carrying out their duties. Although she could not read, she was the one who instructed them in the faith and the principles of morality and prepared them for their first Holy Communion. That was the family atmosphere for little Holinka, God's chosen one to be the prophet of our times. But there was something that set her apart from the rest of the children in the village. Her mother noticed that she loved to pray and would even get up at night and kneel down. When she tried to curb her daughter's enthusiasm, saying, You'll go mad if you keep getting up in the middle of the night, Helenka told her, Mummy, it must be an angel that wakes me up for prayers. At the age of seven, she had her first undeniable experience of God's love. Once when I was seven years old, she says, at a Vesper service conducted before the Lord Jesus in the monstrance, the love of God was imparted to me for the first time and filled my little heart. And the Lord gave me understanding of divine things. And this is from her diary entry 1404. She prepared with deep reverence for her first Holy Communion, which was administered to her by Father Roman Polowski during a ceremony in the parish church. She returned home aware of the divine visitor in her soul. When a friend asked her why she was walking alone, not with the other girls, she said, I'm not alone. I'm walking with Jesus. 
Her awareness of the presence of God in her soul could be observed already in childhood and grew throughout her life, just as did her responsiveness to the needs of others. As a little girl, she was already distinguished from others by a sense of mercy. She would notice the poor people and those in need around her who came into the village for a piece of bread and a donation of any kind. Not only did she notice them, but she would also think of ways to help them. One day she held a lottery. Another time she put on her mother's old clothes and as a beggar went from house to house and collected money, gave it to the parish priest for the poor. Everyone loved her, her mother recalled. She was chosen, the best of the children. She was modest and quiet, ready to do any chore and help anyone. But at the same time, she was cheerful and always with a smile on her face. Not only her parents noticed little Halinka's goodness and her open attitude to God's other people. You have a good, humble, and such an innocent child, a neighbor, Mariana Bereznitska, praised Halinka Kowalska as such a blessed child. She used to say in the village, her siblings and peers also saw that Halinka was someone with a different mentality who did not go to village dances and liked to pray and read the lives of the saints. From her youngest years, she would tell us about the saints, pilgrims, and hermits who fed only on roots, berries, and forest honey, her brother Stanislaw recalled. When she wanted to please her father, she would take the lives of the saints or some other religious book from our modest bookcase and read aloud. She memorized the stories of the hermits and missionaries, and the next day, while out grazing the cattle, would recite them word for word to us and others. She told us children that when she grew up, she would enter a convent, but we laughed. We did not understand her. Halinka went to school in 1917, age 12, when the area was liberated from Russian occupation and a primary school was established in Swinis Warki. Her father had already taught her to read, but at school she had the opportunity to learn more. She was the apple pupil and a keen learner, but had to leave after just three years to make room for the younger children. The family was not well off, so like her older sisters, she went into domestic service. At the age of 16, Halinka said farewell to her parents, brothers, and sisters and left home. She went to Alexandro Lodsky, a town that had a family that was in need of someone to tend to their children and do housework. The family also owned a bakery. The son of the family said, Mummy served customers in the shop, he recalled years later, and Halinka tidied up, helped with the cooking, and had to wash up, carry out the refuse, and bring water as there was no running water. She also brought in food for employees who were provided with meals by my parents. If time allowed, she would play with me. She had a lot of work as there were four rooms in the house, the shop, and the bakery. One day she saw an extraordinary light. She thought it might be a fire and she started shouting just when the bakers were putting the loaves in the oven. It turned out to be a false alarm. Soon after that mysterious event, she returned home to ask her parents' permission to enter the convent. Though they were God-fearing, the Kowalskis didn't want to give up their best child. They gave an excuse, 
of not being able to afford a dowry and refused permission. Halinka went into service again, this time in Lotz. First she stayed at a house of her uncle, Mikhail Rapaki, and worked for three ladies who were third order of St. Francis. When she started the job, she asked to be allowed time for daily mass, visiting the sick and dying, and using the ministry of her mistress's confessor. Just to give you all some more background on those times, um, when a woman would go to a convent and want to join, she would have to um, present the convent with the dowry that she would have offered her husband or husband's family um, when she got married. And this is the reason why the Kowalskis said, you know, hey, we don't have money for a dowry, so you can't join a convent. So what did St. Faustina do? She brainstormed and figured, you know what, I'll, I'll make it on my own. I'll make up the money. And that's what she did. She worked and saved up enough money to uh, be able to be accepted into the convent. And I know that's kind of hard to understand and wrap our minds around because it's like, why? I mean, if the person's wanting to, you know, commit their lives uh, to the divine, why, why would you request a payment or require a payment? But again, I know there's upkeep and, 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 and you know, money that has to be spent to, you know, have a place to have a convent, to run a convent and all that and the other. But, you know, it's, it's just very odd. Um, I don't believe that's still practiced today, but I do know, um, thanks to Mother Natalia, uh, in a recent podcast she had on what God is not. Again, I'll have a, dis- a link to that in the description of this podcast because I keep I keep mentioning this. Uh, but anyway, she had noted, um, and this goes for uh, people who are wanting to go into seminary. You know, men who are wanting to go into the seminary, that all of your debts must be paid uh, before you can go to seminary, or go to a convent. On the 2nd of February, 1923, Halinka was sent by an employment agency to the house of Mrs. Markana Sadoska, who had a shop and needed a child minder for her three children. Whenever I left the house, Mrs. Sadoska said of her maid years later, I could rest assured she was better at keeping the house than I was. She was kind, courteous, and hardworking. I've absolutely nothing to hold against her. She was just so good. Words cannot describe how good she was. Halinka looked after her employer's children and also after those in need, and of whom there was no shortage. A sick man lived in a lumber room under the stairs in the house. Halinka cared for him, not only by bringing food, but also by asking a priest to look after his salvation. When she turned 18, she once again asked her parents permission to enter a convent and again was refused. After this refusal, I turned myself over to the vain things of life, paying no attention to the call of grace. Although my soul found no satisfaction in any of these things, the incessant call of grace caused me much anguish, she wrote in her diary. I tried, however, to stifle it with amusements. So she did not turn down an invitation to a dance. As I began to dance, she wrote in her diary, I suddenly saw Jesus at my side. Jesus was racked with pain, stripped of his clothing and all covered in wounds. And he spoke these words to me, how long 
shall I suffer because of you? How long will you keep putting me off? Under the pretext of a headache, she quickly left the company, making her way to the nearest church, the Cathedral of St. Stanislav Kotska, or Kostka, excuse me. There she prostrated herself before the Blessed Sacrament and begged the Lord to tell her what was to do what she was to do next. Go at once to Warsaw, came the answer. You will enter a convent there. Without asking her parents' consent, she packed and went to the capital. So here we see that, you know, she was trying to do the right thing and save up the money, but of course she had the utmost love and respect for her parents, so she didn't want to join uh, without her parents' consent. And after the second refusal, she just pretty much gave up or attempted to give up and tried to just throw herself in everyday life, um, which, as we see, did not work out the, the way she uh, or the way it was coming out or was playing out. Uh, as we see, the divine, you know, definitely appeared to her right there on the dance floor, covered in blood and, and um, you know, naked and just, you know, covered in wounds from head to toe. And, you know, said, why, why are you doing this to me? Why do you keep doing this to me? How long are you going to keep putting me off? Um, so, you know, that moved her to the point to where she just bolted out of that dance and went straight, straight away to, uh, to Warsaw, to the capital of Poland. And, you know, now we're going to find out what happens next. So now in Warsaw, Helinka asked the pastor of St. James Parish, Father Jacob Dabrowski for help. Um, he directed her to some of his acquaintances uh, in the district who needed a nanny for their children with a note saying that he did not know the girl but hoped she would be useful. There Halinka found the refuge from which she set off in search of a convent and once she had found it stayed for another year to save money for the modest monastic dowry. I remember her wholesome, happy smile, Aldona Lipzik recalled after many years. She used to sing a lot, and I always think of her in connection with the hymn she sang most often, in which I learned from her, I am to revere Jesus hidden in the sacrament. In the Lipzik household, Halinka was treated like a member of the family. They all loved and respected her for her hard work and cheerfulness. She had a way with children. In short, she had all it takes to be a good wife and mother. Mrs. Lipsick tried to get her to marry, but Helinka felt her heart was so big that no human love would satisfy it. It was during the octave of Corpus Christi she recorded the most important event of her time in her diary. God filled my soul with the interior light of a deeper knowledge of him, as supreme goodness and supreme beauty. I came to know how very much God loves me. Eternal is his love for me. It was at Vespers, in simple words, which flowed from the heart, I made to God a vow of perpetual chastity. From that moment, I felt a greater intimacy with God, my spouse. From that moment, I set up a little cell in my heart where I always kept company with Jesus. And that's from her diary entry number 16. She commuted into Warsaw from Ostwick 
looking for a convent which would take her, but she was turned down wherever she knocked to the gate. Finally, she came to the house of the congregations of the Sisters of Our Lady of Mercy. She looked unremarkable, slightly delayed age-wise, rather feeble figure, a maid servant and cook by profession, no dowry, not even the most meager of trosius, unexceptional, a meager little creature, poor, nothing, special about her, not very promising. That's how Mother Malgorzata Gimbut described the candidate on a preliminary interview to the Mother General. Wow, was she ever wrong? Was she ever wrong? I think maybe her glasses need to be cleaned. But as we see with all these saints, and, and we've covered more uh, previously in, in season one, um, this is what happens. I mean, they have so many hardships, not only getting to where they need to be uh, to overcome those, but also while they're doing what they're meant to do, there's tons and tons of hardships. And this is where we can, I mean, regardless of your faith, we can learn so much from these people that regardless of what they faced in the lows in their life, they persisted and kept going regardless of what they were facing. They never gave up and they never gave up their faith. In fact, this all this did was increase their faith. So the mother general of the convent also was not uh, very interested in um, St. Faustina. And it says here, she was not very keen on admitting persons with such a background into the congregation. Mother Michaela Morosquaska, superior of the Warsaw House, who was present during the conversation, offered to speak to the candidate herself. Through the luctory door, which was ajar, she saw the unpretentious girl, and at first, on observing her somewhat shabby appearance, had a mind to turn her away. But it occurred to her that it would be more charitable first to talk to her. During the conversation, she saw the candidate in a better light and wanted to admit her. So she advised the girl to ask the master of the house whether he would accept her. Halinka knew this meant going to the chapel. While she prayed there, she heard the words, I do accept. You are in my heart. When she returned to the reception room, she repeated these words to the mother superior, who said, If the Lord has accepted, then I also will accept. Halinka's immediate entry was prevented by poverty. The mother superior advised her to continue for a time in service and save up a small dowry, testing the firmness of her vocation. Okay, so here we see, you know, you've got what? One, two, three. Uh, three nuns, the head nun, and then the, the secondary nun, and then the third head nun, um, you know, all three in, in the order of rank, just looking at her saying, just by looks alone, saying, eh, she, she's not, she's not what we need, and she's not proper material, and, you know, oh, she, you know, she cleans houses and takes care of kids, and she cooks, you know, definitely not something we need, um, but, you know, blessings to the last one for at least giving her a, a, a moment to speak with her and get to know her a little bit better. And uh, what they meant by asking the master of the house was for uh, St. Faustina to go to the chapel. 
and to pray. And if the divine wanted her to ask the divine uh, if she could enter the convent. And, you know, anybody could say, well, you know, you could say anything you want. You could say the divine, you know, said this and that, which probably <laughs> that would not be a good idea to lie your way into a convent. Um, I don't know it, what kind of sin that would be if you're if you're a Roman Catholic, if that would be a, a mortal sin or, you know, a smaller sin. But it's a sin nonetheless. But anyway, um, you know, St. Faustina got a reply right away saying, you know, I will accept you. And they took her in, but not immediately. Again, you know, ching, you know, you got to have the the cash to, to enter in. Um, they also used that as a testing uh, ground for St. Faustina to see how committed and devoted that she was to becoming a nun. Um, so that would try, you know, that would be a trial for her to overcome, which she had been doing it up to that point anyway. So to her, it's no big deal. It's a setback, but still very achievable. At last on the 1st of August, 1925, the vigil of the Feast of Our Lady, Queen of Angels, the day came when Halinka Kowalska crossed the threshold into the convent enclosure. I felt immensely happy, she confided in her diary. It seemed to me I had stepped into the life of paradise. A single prayer was bursting forth from my heart, one of praise. But already after three weeks, she observed that there was little time in the convent for prayer and wanted to move to a stricter order. At night, when she prayed, prostrating herself on the floor, she saw the tortured face of Jesus and asked, Jesus, who has hurt you so much? It is you who will cause me this pain if you leave this convent, Jesus replied. It is to this place that I called you and nowhere else. I have prepared many graces for you. She apologized to Jesus and immediately revoked her decision. After just a few weeks in the convent, Mother Superior sent the postulant Halinka along with two other sisters to Skolimau in the suburbs for reasons of health which had deteriorated due to the fairly strict fast practiced in the house and in service, and also due to spiritual experience of new life in the convent. At Skolimau, she asked Jesus whom she should pray for. In reply, she had a vision of purgatory, from which she learned that the greatest torment of the souls in the misty place full of fire was longing for God. In her heart of hearts, she heard the words, My mercy does not want this, but justice demands it. From then on, Halinka prayed all the more fervently for the souls in purgatory to help them, and God permitted her to establish a closer form of contact with them. So I know a lot of people, especially those who are not Roman Catholic, um, believe in purgatory. Um, Purgatory is a place that you go to after you pass from this lifetime to work off um, anything that is keeping you from heaven. Um, it's described in many ways, and a lot of times it's described in hellish ways. Um, we saw this in um, St. Padre Pio uh, in his story from season one, where the souls of purgatory would come to visit him 
Um, we saw this also with, uh, I believe, St. Bernadette was as well. The souls of purgatory would appear to her as well. So you can see how these Roman Catholic saints were very connected to uh, the souls in purgatory, the between, uh, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, believe it or not. Um, it doesn't change if something exists or not, if we believe it or it doesn't, you know. Um, whether it exists or not is, is completely up to you and your beliefs. But the thing is, it's important to, regardless if you believe in a purgatory or in a, a between or anything like that, um, remember the Penny story from episode one of this season, um, season two. She was in a between. And, you know, anybody in a between, regardless of if it's hellish or just flat out right confusing, um, it, which can be terrorizing as well, need prayers. And they really need our prayers. So it's important that we just not pray for uh, those living, but we also should pray for those who have passed. It's very important. And you can also request prayers from those who have passed. You know, that's the big thing about praying to the saints is you're, you're, you're praying to them and asking for their intercession to help, you know, whether they can help or for them to ask, you know, Jesus, God, the divine, whatever you want to call that, which can't be described or labeled uh, to assist you. So I just wanted to give some more background on that. Mother Janina, who was the postulant mistress at that time, showed a big heart to young postulants preparing for their religious life, but at the same time made big demands of them and directed them firmly. Of Halinka, she used to say that she had an inner life of her very own and that her little soul must be dear to Jesus. Sister Sismona, since she and Halinka were postulants in the same period, admired Halinka for taking all of the humiliations so meekly and without grumbling. I was amazed a junior postulant was capable of such self-restraint and goodness, she later wrote. This conduct was inspired by Halinka's fervent faith and concern to be like Jesus, trusting in the Heavenly Father even when he was on the cross and who was meek and humble throughout his life, loving all people with a patient understanding an indescribably self-sacrificing love. Halinka spent the last months of her postulancy in the novice house in Krakow, where she arrived on the 23rd of January, 1926. The novice mistress at the time was Mother Malgorsata Gimbut, a prayerful person and a devout practitioner of the mortifications, meek and quiet, who educated the young nuns entrusted to her care above all by the example of her life. She was the tutor who prepared Halinka to take the veil and directed her in the first months of her novitiate. So mortifications for those who aren't familiar with the Roman Catholic faith, um, those are things that people do to themselves to um, kind of like put themselves in an atonement for sins um, situation. Like they'll wear like, I forget what it's called, but there's this wool fabric that's like really, really irritating and itchy um, that they will wear that will, you know, aggravate and, and, you know, irritate their skin. It's very uncomfortable and can be painful. And they do this, with they, as they call mortifications, um, to show their faith, um, their commitments and love and 
They do this in prayer, you know, while they're praying. There's others that wear chains. Sometimes they wear heavy chains um, as another way of uh, showing, you know, or performing mortifications. And I know that to us today sounds not only barbaric, but self-abusive, but you've got to put it into context exactly what's going on here and why they're doing it. From today on, you shall not be called by your baptismal name. You shall be called Sister Maria Faustina. Halinka heard these words during the ceremony for taking of the veil on the 30th of April, 1926. During the ceremony, she fainted twice. Sister Clemenza, who helped her take off her white dress and veil and put on the habit, thought it must have been due to the emotions associated with abandoning the world, whereas it turned out God let her know how much she would suffer. She saw clearly what she was taking upon herself. The suffering lasted a minute, and then God again filled her soul with great comfort. After less than two months of Sister Faustina's novitiate, there was a change of novice mistress on the 20th of June, 1926. Mother Malgorzata was replaced by Mother Josepha, who had been trained for the office in Laval, France, which served for the foundress Mother Teresa Iwa Countess Patoka Ni Sokwaska. Say that nine times fast. As the spiritual model of the congregation's religious life and apostolic work in Poland, the novice mistress thorough training her thorough training and personal experience gave her the confidence to lead the novices into the spiritual life teaching them to know god more profoundly to pray and practice the ascetic life so that their piety should not be emotional and soft but thorough and bring them to an ever deeper union with god through obedience humility and self-sacrificing love of their neighbors and a zeal for the salvation of the souls entrusted to the congregation's apostolic care. St. Faustina followed the novice mistress's instructions attentively and fulfilled all the duties allotted her with exactitude. We were together in the novitiate for a year, recalled Sister Krasinka, who was a year ahead of her in vocation. I saw how enthusiastically Sister Faustina carried out all her duties. As I was a senior novice, I had to act as her guide, also known as an angel. I was to bring her into the life of the community and admired her for her quick learning. You didn't have to tell her twice. As often happens with other novices, and you could always observe a childlike joy on her face. At this time, Sister Falsina often spoke of God's mercy. Sister Sismona recollects while I would challenge her and stress his justice, but her arguments always won. Her fellow nuns called her the lawyer because she could direct the discussion to the subject of God's truth. They liked her and gathered around her during recreation as her thoughts and words were focused on God, and she always was cheerful. 
That joy faded somewhat towards the end of her first year in the novitiate when she started to go through a period of extremely painful spiritual experiences known as the passive nights. Towards the end of the first year of my novitiate, she recorded in her diary, darkness began to cast its shadow over my soul. I felt no consolation in prayer. I had to make a great effort to meditate. Fear began to sweep over me, going deeper into myself. I could find nothing but great misery. I could also clearly see the great holiness of God. I did not dare to raise my eyes to him, but cast myself into the dust under his feet and begged for his mercy. I did not understand what I was reading. I could not meditate. It seemed to me that my prayer was displeasing to God. It seemed to me that my receiving the holy sacraments, I was offending God even more. But despite this, my confessor did not let me omit one single holy communion. God was working very strangely in my soul, and I did not understand anything at all of what my confessor was telling me. The simple truths of the faith became incomprehensible to me. My soul was in anguish, unable to find comfort anywhere. At a certain point, there came to me the very powerful impression that I was, am rejected by God. This terrible thought pierced my soul right through. In the midst of suffering, my soul began to experience the agony of death. I wanted to die, but could not. And that was in her diary entry number 23. And I'm sharing the diary entries with you all as I go, in case you all want to um, get the diary. Uh, of That's her book. And, and look these all up on her. I highly, highly recommend it. Um, there's also a great podcast that every day gives you an excerpt from her um, from her diary, St. Faustina's diary, and it's absolutely free. And I'll share that um, at the end of the program as well as it will, a link to it will be in the show notes. And again, it's absolutely free to listen to. St. Faustina was helped through these extremely painful experiences by her novus mistress, who correctly diagnosed her spiritual condition, which was not easy, and applied the right remedy. She instructed St. Faustina to say the exclamatory prayers instead of long prayers, which required a considerable amount of concentration and thereby accept the will of God. She told her that God was still her father, although he was testing her, and that these trials were to prepare her soul for a fuller union with him. In these dark nights of the soul, there were moments of light and joy when God allowed her to feel his love and when Our Lady came to her aid. One such moment was the ceremony for her first vows, which was celebrated on the 30th of April, 1928, by Bishop Stanislaw Respond. Sister Faustina's parents came um, to the convent. It was the first time she saw them since several years. They found her full of joy and happiness. See, Father, she said to her father, who had been so staunchly against her entry into the convent, the one to whom I have made my vows is my husband and therefore your son-in-law. This argument and their child's happiness persuaded her parents, and from then on they had no further objections to her life in the convent. After taking her first vows, St. Faustina stayed for a few months in Krakow. In October 1928, the congregation held its general chapter and the office of Mother General was entrusted to Mother Michaelia, who was educated, a graduate of music conservatory, and spoke several languages. 
She was magnanimous and devoted her entire life to the saving of souls. For 18 years, she directed the spiritual and apostolic, apostolic excuse me, life of the entire congregation, which, following St. Faustina's visions, she entrusted to the care of Mary, Mother of Mercy, the congregation's heavenly superior general. St. Faustina put an immense amount of confidence in Mother Michaelia, who helped her tremendously in accomplishment of her vocation and was the woman of providence for the recognition of the mission of prophecy. In the first years of her juniorate, that is, after making her first religious profession, St. Faustina worked in many of the congregation's houses, firstly in Warsaw in Zintia, in 1929, she went to Wilno to replace Sister Petrolina, who was leaving for her third probation. Then she returned to Warsaw in the house of Zenitia, only to be sent off to a new house on the Hetmanska and Grochow district. In the same year, she went to Kirkitz uh, to take over in the kitchen for Sister Modesta, who was ill in December of the same year. She came back to the house of Zinsha, but not for long. Things <laughs> turned out in such a way, Mother General Michaelia explained at St. Faustina's frequent moves that she had to be transferred fairly often to new places so that she worked in almost all of the congregation's houses. After a brief stay in Warsaw in Zinsha and at Grocho, she was again sent off to Plok and from there for a short time in Bialia, an agricultural colony for the Plok house. Her main occupation at Plok until her third probation was serving customers in the baker's shop. So as you can see, she was bounced around quite a bit. So not only did she have the, the trials and tribulations that she was going through, uh, mentally and spiritually, but also physically, you know, she was not very well uh, and being bounced around from place to place to place. Um, and I know there's probably psychology people out there, people who have uh, a background in psychology saying, you know what, St. Faustina was a schizophrenic. And, you know, she could be seen that way. But um, as if you haven't seen yet, you will be seeing soon that that is not the truth. Um, she definitely had such a divine connection. I honestly believe that St. Faustina was operating in two realms. She was operating in our human realm here on earth, and she was operating in the heavenly realm. And so often she was torn between the two and conflicted between the two and pulled between the two. It was just, you know, so very hard for her. So I think this would be a good place for us to pause uh, with this first uh, installment of St. Faustina's life. So we'll call this chapter one, and next week we'll be back with chapter two. I so hope everyone is enjoying the St. Faustina show. And I know we've got a lot of blah, 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 blah uh, to get through, but I hope you're finding it, finding it interesting. Believe me. Her story gets even more interesting as we go. We needed to get those preliminaries out of the way. So uh, next week's show, I promise you, will be even more interesting than this week's show. 
So I would like to close with a prayer, and this is a traditional Hindu prayer. And you might say, what does that have to do with St. Faustina? It honestly doesn't have anything to do with St. Faustina, but it doesn't have to. A prayer is a prayer is a prayer, regardless of what your faith. And, you know, one of my goals is to share other faiths with you. And I'm sure we have people out there that are listening who are Hindu and would greatly appreciate uh, sharing their prayers with all of us. And that way we learn. And, you know, as you're going to hear the words in this prayer, you could just adopt it to yours. It, honestly, you don't even have to change the words to it at all. There is one word in here. Uh, that you may not be familiar with, and it is the word Shanti. And Shanti means peace beyond understanding. A lot of people just say, well, Shanti means peace, but it goes further than that. It's peace beyond understanding. So it's like divine peace. So if you say to someone, you wish somebody Shanti, you're wishing them divine peace, which is very good. It's a great thing. So here's the prayer. Oh God, lead us from the unreal to the real. O oh God, lead us from the darkness to the light. O oh God, lead us from death to immortality. Shante, 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 unto all. So you, I've heard it pronounced Shante and I've heard it pronounced Shanti. So it's up to you on how you want to pronounce it. But you know the meaning. So that's the important part is the meaning. So I hope you've all enjoyed this prayer of the week. So I will pause here for now. I so hope and pray that you all enjoyed the show and that this show is everything that you've been looking for and even more and that it continues to be that and even more for as long as possible. I am always greatly open to suggestions, recommendations for people to showcase on the show. As I've said infinite times, um, you, we have people from all over the world now listening to the show. And I know that each and every one of you have such amazing beings, past and present in your culture that we have no idea about, but we should know about. So please, please, please take a moment to contact me, reach out to me, share these people and their stories with me, or at least where I can find the information uh, to locate information on these people so we can have it on the shows. Also, I love to pray. I am always doing my level best to be in a continuous state of prayer. And people that listen to the show love to pray as well. And we would all love to pray for you. If you would like for us to pray for you, please, there is on the website, which I'm going to give you the information here in a minute, information, there's a form at the bottom of the website that you can fill out to submit your prayer request. It asks for your first and last name. You don't have to give any of that. It does ask. The only thing you have to fill out is your email address. And that way I can write you back just to let you know I received your prayer request and that we'll be doing it. Um, there's a, an area there where you can write out what your prayer request is. If it's for you, it's for a loved one, for a friend. If Anyone that prays knows that the more information you have about the persons you're praying for, the better. So feel free to share as much information as you're comfortable sharing. And also, please note on there, if you want me to just pray for that person or for you 
on my own or if it's okay for me to share that on the show so we can get as many people as possible praying. So please make sure you note that on there. So there's two ways that you can contact me. The first is through our website, and that also has the prayer request form on there. And you can find our website, if you don't already know it, at Faith and More Podcast. That's all one word, Faith and More Podcast dot Wix site, W-I-X-S-I-T dot com slash my dash site, S-I-T-E. Again, that's Faith and More Podcast dot wixsite.com slash my dash site or you can email me directly at faith and more podcast again all one word faith and more podcast at gmail.com thank you all so much for listening i so hope you all return next week please if you enjoyed the show make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode And if you really enjoyed the show, please share it with as many people as you possibly can. Because right now, that's the only way our show gets out is by word of mouth and by sharing. So the more people you talk to about and share with, the more people we can have listening and the more people we can bless with these stories of these amazing beings. So again, thank you all so very much for listening. Please know that you all are in my heart and my prayers. I love each and every one of you so much. Always remember, love yourself and love others. And I will see you all again next week.